we're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. This is Benton Crane, your co-host. And today I have with me Matt Silverman. Welcome, Matt. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were talking just before we rolled about whether I'm accomplished or just doing too many things. I'm not sure which it is. Well, I think for those of us watching your accomplishments, I think that's a pretty easy answer. <laughs> You're a very accomplished man. So we're, we feel privileged to have you here yeah, today. That's very generous of you. Thank you. So we've all seen The Daily Dot. We've all seen videos. We've all heard of The Daily Dot. But what is it? What is it? The Daily Dot covers internet culture. Okay. Editorially. Uh, we're a news and features site that digs into what is going on on the internet culturally. And that could be what is this trending meme that everyone keeps talking about, or it could be the latest cybersecurity hack or the latest, uh, you know, legislative push to, uh, you know, for or against net neutrality, for example. Um, anything that is solely rooted in internet culture or internet privacy, technology, freedom, uh, that is what we cover editorially. Uh, and we produce a, a good deal of written content and, and journalistic coverage of that. And then adjacent to that, we have this tiny little uh, creative agency uh, that began as a video program and has evolved into a pretty robust e-commerce uh, creative agency where we can develop content for clients uh, and help manage it, get it to the right eyeballs organically through paid distribution. Uh, it's a big it's a nice big Chinese menu that we offer clients, and they can pick and choose depending on their needs. And uh, we've we've had a lot of success with it over the last couple of years. Talk to us about stories. And when I say that, what's going through my head is that the Daily Dot must be dependent on great stories that travel, that get shared, that get passed from person to person, and that connect with people at an emotional level. Talk to us about how you find those stories or how you create those stories. Editorially, I think it's about living on the internet. You know, I've, I've worked in newsrooms, journalistic newsrooms for the majority of my career before I kind of started focusing on entertainment, infotainment and this agency work. <clears throat> and me and my colleagues just live online all the time for better or worse. Um, and we are, the stories can come from anywhere. You know, if I am really invested in a particular social network, maybe a subreddit that I follow very closely, maybe it's a video game that I'm playing, and all of a sudden there's a there's a controversy. There's a there's a discussion that has wider ramifications for culture writ large, capital C, or perhaps internet culture. There are ways to pluck that out of the the community that that's really passionate about that story and pluck it out and say hey, wider audience, here's why this matters to you or to the culture at large. And uh, that's a journalistic art form that is really, um, it takes a lot of uh, practice and work to to position a story for a mainstream audience that was really only relevant to uh, a subset of people on the internet. And that's what The Daily Dot does really well. I, you know, I no, no longer work in the newsroom, so I'm not in the weeds, but 
it's an incredibly collaborative culture. So, you know, if you see something, say something. You're, you're just living on the internet as you do and you, you, you spot something that has appeal or that, that is resonating in some way that matters. Um, pluck it out, pitch it to an editor. And uh, if it makes sense, we will cover it. And uh, we try to tell the story of the internet uh, in all its forms, which is in some ways impossible. The, the internet is just too big. There are too many stories. And in a lot of ways, we we have to focus and hone and say, okay, these are the most important stories because we think they are or because they have the most resonance. Um, it's... Uh, it's a complicated line and, and the writers and editors walk it every day. It's a process. Tell us more, more about that process and maybe what would be helpful if you could talk us through what stories are off limits. What, what, hmm. So the story of the internet is massive, right? That, that could include so many things. Um, have you guys identified anything that, that you don't cover? It depends it's it's about using that journalistic sense. Some of that is training and schooling. I never went to journalism school, so and I don't do journalism day to day. But I, like I said, I've worked in newsrooms, uh, and it's about knowing when something feels icky and where to dig and where to leave it alone. Um, a good example of this is um, I produce a show for The Daily Dot called Two Girls, One Podcast. It's a show where uh, two professional actors who have performed internet culture on stage in New York, where I'm based, um, they just take like Tumblr threads and Reddit posts and Craigslist ads and perform them on stage as if they were the script to a theatrical <laughs> okay. production. Absolutely hilarious. They're brilliant performers. And I I've cast them in a number of videos. And every time we work together, we had said, oh, we should put... Uh, we should do something. We should make a web series. We should make a podcast. Um, and finally, we figured out a way to make it work. And so the show is about talking about the internet, but then interviewing someone from an internet subculture or like a unique phenomena. So, so um, you know, we've interviewed, you know, furries or fetishists or uh, people who create, there's this one gentleman who created an algorithm that could generate all combinations of text you could imagine that could that have ever been written or will be written. So it's an algorithm in this library. It's called the Library of Babel, where everything we are saying right now is already in the library. That's a computational weirdness that we were like, <laughs> we got to get this guy in the show. So it's very cool, fascinating stuff like that. Uh, we bring guests on and we just have a good time talking about their community, their project, um, a video game archaeologist who's digging around inside video games to find things that other players have left behind in multiplayer games, these types. <laughs> and he's doing his PhD on that. The coolest guests that we could find. We found, to answer your question, now that, now that we've set the context of the show, we found someone who's developing a dating app or dating website for conspiracy theorists. So it's a gentleman who is building this media empire based on like, we have the cure to cancer, but drug companies don't want you to know it. You know, 9-11 was an inside job. This kind of stuff mm -hmm. that is very fringe and very hard to process. And, you know, uh, and, it, and therein lies the fine line of like, there's a huge community of conspiracy theorists on the internet who want to date each other. That's a fascinating story that we decided to cover. But when we brought the gentleman on, he started saying things on the show that are just not journalistically acceptable. So it was 
and we're an entertainment show. So here's where it gets even murkier. Right. We're just here having laughs, having a good time, but our audience relies on us to get good quality stories and for us to do a bit of journalistic rigor in interviews so that we don't have people spouting nonsense. And we, the host did a really, really wonderful job kind of pushing back and whatever. And, and I guess the moral of the story is like the show came out well, but would we cover that person or that topic again? I don't think I would because it ended up leaning too much toward like we gave that person a platform to spout nonsense and it was less about covering the community and that was a line that we walked a little too close to the line and I wouldn't do it again even though I'm proud of that show we did a good job um that hopefully answers your question of like there's a lot of stuff out there we want to cover it responsibly without giving platforms to the nonsense that the internet contains there's plenty of it right yeah that makes perfect sense all right. The podcast is called From Poop to Gold, of course. Yes. Um, we want to hear in either your life or in your career or even in this role, we want to hear about a situation that was really crappy, <laughs> but you were able to work it through to the point that it became gold, right? Sure. Turned it into something amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess this is not a a pinpoint specific situation, but more of an industry shift where, as we know, you know, many media companies, including ours, were riding high on Facebook traffic. And it was like you just put a really clicky headline on Facebook or, or make a, a sexy video and you put it out there and organic traffic is just through the roof because literally every human on, on the earth, not literally, but... The vast majority of, of, of internet-connected human beings are on Facebook all the time, and you put something there that is shareable, and you will get traffic, and you will get views, you know? Um, and uh, we were very good at that. We, meaning our entire industry, the entire media, you know, the, the Mashables, the BuzzFeeds, mm-hmm. the Daily Dots, the Boxes of the world were, were doing really well at that game. And then the bottom just completely fell out of it because Facebook flicked a switch and said, you know, we're just gonna we're gonna show the friends instead of the brands now, um, which is the right choice for Facebook as a platform. I mean, we, it was overrun with viral nonsense and right. everyone just gaming that system, um, and uh, that became a a bad time for the digital media industry. Is that early 2018? <clears throat> yeah, 2017, 2018. Um, you know. The 10,000 foot view is that it was, I think, a much needed correction of like it was just a platform full of nonsense. And now we're kind of getting back to making what I like to call essential content, which is like content that really matters to people and that um, people are willing to support and pay for. Um, But at the time, we were just making a lot of commodity nonsense. Again, we just being the industry and the bottom fell out and and. Sadly, many people across the industry were laid off, lost their jobs, or hit hard times, and and that is unfortunate. Um, The platform became, Facebook, the platform became untenable for organic content, and we had to look at at the business model and say, we can't reach the millions of people that we used to reach. What the heck do we do? Um, And we were uh, tinkering again. Uh, with uh, Facebook video formats and found that the newsfeed just lends itself to this idea of, look at this thing, look at this thing, this thing's cool, check this out, you know? And we started, we had a very successful uh, uh, e-commerce 
division of the company, like a platform, I guess you'd call it, where we were writing articles about um, interesting, unique, useful, essential products that you could just go to Amazon and buy. And we'd make a small commission from that. But at scale, that was a, a, a worthwhile business. And we started thinking, well, Facebook video is very, you know, if it's just quick and easy and, and, and it, it grabs attention in that newsfeed environment, maybe this would work for, for e-commerce too. And we started making little videos about products. And we also editorially were featuring Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this idea of, you know, your three-minute Kickstarter video is very good if you're trying to convince me to kick in $10. Your founders are on the on the video saying, hey, we have a dream. You really believe in this product. Check out the product. But for Facebook, that's the wrong format. So we would, um, you know, pull that video, recut it, and say, whoa, check out this awesome thing, this awesome product that these awesome people are creating on Kickstarter. They're so close to their goal. Isn't it cool? And we were sending boatloads of traffic via Facebook video to Kickstarter, to Amazon, to our own store. And we kind of had cracked this code of like, oh, Facebook is just a viral engine for like, look at this cool thing. It's not about deep, meaningful engagement. Like you you, you don't necessarily want to put an hour long podcast or mm-hmm. like a vlog video on Facebook. You're just like, hey, check out this thing. And all of a sudden it became an engine for marketing, which duh, like Facebook is the world's biggest advertising network, uh, you know, or the most efficient advertising network ever devised in, in human history. Um, and that was our pivot from, oh my gosh, Facebook is over to, oh, maybe we should just be using Facebook for what it's for, advertising. And as we were making these very dynamic, very viral videos and driving lots of traffic to the the sources of those videos, whether that was us or the, you know, the, the Kickstarter or the brand partner, all of a sudden we had brands coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, we want a video, we want a video. We have a YouTube channel full of videos. None of them have views. How can we work with you to like figure this out? And... Um, we developed a really a pretty good strategy for distributing those videos and then over the course of that year 2018 early 2019 it's like organic traffic uh, even video traffic uh, on facebook was lower and lower and lower and lower it doesn't mean people were on facebook less by the contrary you know facebook was doing just fine um it was about managing a campaign and saying okay we're gonna make this video we're gonna make amazing creative for you and in that budget, we're going to say, also, here's the budget for campaign management, and we're going to guarantee that we can, with great creative and great messaging and testing, like you were saying, we're going to reach this many people. Uh, and brands were like, oh, that's very clear, very efficient, very effective. I know exactly what I'm getting. Uh, oh, I get to own a great little video that I can put on my Amazon page or my YouTube page later. That great. And it was just became this a la carte menu of, oh, do you have a campaign management team already? Great. We'll just make great creative. Oh, you already have great creative? We'll just manage the campaign. Whatever you need, we can provide. And we, you know, we're small and scrappy. We're not this big, fat agency. We're, 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 I think we're very competitive uh, and we can offer things that bigger players uh, may not offer or may not uh, think to offer or may not offer at the same cost efficiency. So, And, that- and likely the bigger agencies are the ones who are unable to tinker at the same level that I you can. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it sounds like the agency side of your business was a direct result 
of that really hard time that Facebook put the industry through. Precisely, precisely. Taking a bad situation that seemed really like a dead end, like do we abandon this platform or or what? And then tinkering, tinkering, tinkering to figure out, oh, wait, let's use it for what it is actually built for. And then it was... It was very, it was very successful. There was actual demand from from right. audience, clients, uh, etc. Like, uh, oh, we 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 reopened this box of like, oh, right, this is this is actually useful in a completely new context. That was that was also a very hard time, not only for us but for many of our clients. Right. In fact, we even had a couple clients who their only advertising channel was Facebook. Right. Um, most of our other clients had. Um, you know, a little more of a multi-channel approach, mm-hmm. which I would argue long-term is a healthier approach yes. um, for reasons specifically like this. But, you know, those clients that had just a Facebook approach when Facebook made those changes, um, it kind of turned their businesses upside down right. for a little bit and it really put them through a hard time. Yep. It's a big lesson. I get scared to build entire businesses on the backs of other businesses, especially digital media businesses. Um, Precisely. It's very, very scary. We've learned a lot of lessons and uh, we're not, uh, we're not foolish enough to think that this Facebook is a very efficient advertising platform today. Will it always be the case? Probably not. So we need to plan against that. That's know? right. I, th- I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Gary Vee that always talks about finding the underpriced attention. Yes. And, you know, Facebook has provided a lot of that, but that doesn't mean it always will. Right. And so, you know, we need to keep our eyes open and keep tinkering yep. to find whatever is next. Yep. It's, a, it's a good way to phrase it of like influential people on YouTube, podcasts, Twitch, you know, uh, they may not have mature businesses yet, but they have huge audiences. So if you're a brand, maybe it's the right time to buy into those uh, mm-hmm. audiences because I'm definitely going to trust my favorite podcaster or YouTuber versus, you know, an ad that targeted me on Facebook. You know, I think people are growing a little bit more dubious, uh, you know, skeptical of That's right. of these platforms, but not of the creators. Creators, I, I think, are are more trusted than ever, I think. Got it. Matt, do you have any up-and-coming projects that you would like to tell our listeners about? Projects. Always, always. Uh, Up-and-coming, I'm producing a lot of shows. (laughs) And this is like, you know, independent of of, uh, the day job. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Free Dad Videos where it's me and my kids. We make music videos. We make silly uh, comedic videos about the trials of parenting and the ridiculousness that ensues. My kids are uh, six and almost three. Okay. Um, we have a good time. We do little adventures and things of that sort. Um, and our audience has been extremely loving and, and supportive and people like what we do. So we're going to keep doing that. Um, I am hosting a show, uh, by a dear friend of mine, uh, Dan Lewis is called now. I know he has a very, uh, successful newsletter, I don't know how he does it. Every night he's plugging away doing trivia. Like it's like uh, fascinating stories about interesting events in history or, hmm. or culture or politics. And he, and it's a newsletter. So it's, it's this lovely, like it's in your inbox every single day. You rely on it. His audience is so supporting and loving. He's like, Hey, we should do videos. And I said, great. You've already done the hard part. 
which is writing, reading and uh, writing and researching these topics. We'll do it in video form. And so I'm hosting that show. We launched a Kickstarter, which was successful. And he uh, probably already has a pretty big... A huge library. Y- exactly. Yeah, a library that you can go back through. I was like, this this, this is turnkey. This this makes itself. You know, I, I could just talk into a camera and, and put it together. So that... so that We did a few episodes and we launched a Kickstarter and, and the fans were very supportive. So we're continuing to make uh, eight to ten more episodes. So that's coming out soon. It's called Now I Know. Um, I host a podcast, co-host a podcast called The Future Will Not Be Podcast with with two friends and colleagues in the media biz, where we talk about future shock, this idea that um, technology is accelerating so quickly that average humans, including us, are having trouble keeping up, and our laws and our societies are not really keeping up with the pace of technology, and that's uh, you know, the technological advances that are coming are really awesome, but they're all made by five companies. So what are we going to do about that legislatively, policy-wise, mm-hmm. societal, societally? You know, uh, there's a near future where I'm going to email you and, and say, or you're going to email me and say, hey, come on the podcast. And I'm going to respond, I'd love to come on the podcast, but it's actually two robots talking to each other. Like, what, <laughs> what, uh, what's the etiquette around that? Are we ready for that? Um, our, I have young kids, like they're growing up in a world that is entirely screen based and uh, mediated by tech companies like there are awesome things and problems with that. So it's a kind of a chat show where we ta- ta- tackle existential uh, topics like that. So uh, I think that's everything that's in the works currently. And what was the name of that one again? The Future Will Not Be Podcast. The Future Will Not Be Podcast. Um, very cool. Um I'm excited to um, uh, to go consume some more of your content myself, <laughs> and and I'm excited for our listeners to get to as well. Um, we have a gift for you, Matt. Oh wow! What is um, this? Uh, the author Chris Jones followed us around for the last three years. Okay, and he documented oh, all wow. of the campaigns as we were making them. Yes, and as he did that, he he kind of helped us uncover some core principles that were essential to us building the creative culture yep. that, that we have today. Nice. And, and so that book from poop to gold Excellent. is a dive into that, uh, into that creative culture. Great cover too. Thank you. I like it. Thank you. Um, and then a couple of goodies in the bag from, from our clients as well. Excellent. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better. Thank you, better. My, my pleasure. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one.